Hi everyone, Raphael Harry here, and you're listening to White Label American, a podcast where we hear stories from an immigrant or two, sometimes more. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of White Label American. Thank you all for joining us today. Um, we have, uh, before we dive into today's guest, I would love to recommend a podcast that I got introduced to, thanks to the Brooklyn Public Library, All of My Relations podcast, uh, and I will be re recommending the episode, The Border Crossed Us. Um, I, don't, I don't have the number, but the title of the episode is The Border Crossed Us. And it relates to what we are talking, what we'll be talking about today, or some of what we'll be talking about today. Um, why I recommended this episode of All My Relations podcast. Um, what we'll talk about um, immigration, be it uh, legal, illegal, quote unquote illegal. I don't believe in illegal immigrants. Um, we tend to forget one community, which is our Native American brethren, and this podcast tends to come from the Native American community and it covers the immigrants, uh, especially the border crossing from their perspective. And it, it was quite fascinating to hear and uh, beautiful to also see people who live on the border and uh, hear their perspective and hear them talking about what it meant for someone to be erecting a wall on their border. And you know, this podcast is about bringing artificial walls. So even though it was a physical wall, it still represented an artificial wall for them. And it was a very powerful episode hearing people talk about what it meant living in an area where they've been for literally thousands of years. And it's not just only the southern border of the United States. It relates to the northern border with Canada. And it also relates to um, Central America and in, in fact, all of the Americas. So it's a very powerful episode and I highly recommend it. And I believe um, there's a lot of similarities for uh, with, with all the immigrant communities out there. And most, most times people just tend to think that um, Native Americans are not included or um, indigenous people of the Americas are not included when it comes to immigration. So I highly recommend this podcast, All of My Relations podcast. And there are, there's two recommendations today. The second recommendation is uh, from our two guests today. It's a TEDx talk, which I really enjoyed, of our guest who I'll be telling you uh, her name, Martin Kalau. I hope I said it right. Um, I really enjoyed her TEDx talk. And it's, it's not long. It's about 10, 11 minutes. And it, 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 when, you, when you listen to this episode, you you get what I'm talking about, and you see why I recommended this TEDx talk. It was from about two, three years ago. I think three years ago. It, was pre, uh, it sounded pre-pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes, check it out and enjoy both of them and learn along with me, you know. So, yeah, I don't, I don't want to en enjoy and learn by myself, you know. We all learn together and grow together. So, with that being said, let's meet today's guest. You've already heard her name, Martin Kalau. Uh, she's an author. She's a... Uh, Written um, two books, and I'm, I believe there'll be more books coming because I, I don't think she will stop at two. Um, she's the CEO and founder of the Martin 
Kalau Enterprises, LLC. She is an undocumented immigrant survivor focused on building bridges between those who have and those who need. Um, she's a DNE and DE and I consultant. Uh, she's survived the battle with the US CIS, uh, which is the US uh, Customs um, Services and Immigration Services, and um, also ICE. Uh, she works directly with the stateless and immigrant community through nonprofit, the nonprofit Stateless and Dreamers Foundation, um, SAD, SAD. And she's just um, someone who, after watching a couple of her videos and um, hearing her speak, I was just like, wow, there's a lot to this woman that I I just learned. And I was like, yeah, I can keep all this to myself. We, we, we have to we have to share with the audience and bring her here. And I hope you all will get to see why I, I, I was, I'm so honored to have her in the studio with me. So... Welcome to the show, Martin. How are you doing today? So great, Raphael. Thank you for that very generous uh, welcome and introduction. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. And um, you're the first person to be from your part of, um, who was born in your part of uh, where you'll be telling us uh, that you were born in. So I'm extra excited to get to know more about your story. So. <laughs> no <pressure. laughs> oh, so let's let's before we dive into your your stories um let, and tell the audience about your books you wrote two amazing books and um yeah just give us a brief insight into yeah. those books perfect thank you so my first book um you know i i have it right in front of me but this is it's all audio so you listeners you can't actually see it but it's called illegal among us a stateless woman's quest for citizenship. So, you know, Raphael, I really appreciate, you know, your introduction and you talked about my journey of being undocumented, but I also want to highlight that I was stateless. Um, I experienced um, a battle being stateless and undocumented. And we can talk more about the differentiation um, of being stateless versus being undocumented. So this book is a memoir. It's a recap of my journey of the seven years that I was in deportation proceedings, which now the euphemism, euphemism for that is uh, removal proceedings, and how I navigated through a system that was designed for me to, to fail. And that system is right immigration, USCIS, ICE, the system that was designed for me to fail, how I navigated through that and became the person that I am today. So it is an introspective on my struggle with mental health, right? We talk a lot about mental health. That's the buzz, buzz term these days, yeah. but I really want to dissect it and give people an introspective to what really goes on in the mind and emotion of someone who's battling every day through this immigration saga. The other part of this book that the other aspect of this book is that it it gives you um, a context as to how I became undocumented and all of the other pieces to being undocumented and stateless that are often overlooked, 
right? In yeah. when the media represents undocumented and stateless people. Mm-hmm. Being that I was also at one point an orphan. I was also trying to battle living these two you know, teetering between two worlds of being this normal American girl while I was carrying the weight of my life on my shoulders. So this becomes this introspective. One can see it as a coming of age story. One can see it as a tool, a guidebook, because there are a lot of lessons and tools that I use to navigate my own journey that I like to share with others. And then others might just be able to connect to it, even if they don't have any, they don't have their, they've never been undocumented. They don't have any immigration issues. I think what it does is it humanizes that stateless person and humanizes the undocumented person. And it humanizes being black and African Mm. in America. So that was my first book that I, that I wrote and published uh, about three years ago, around the same time that I I did, I conducted my TEDx talk. And my second book that just came out about a week and a half ago, and my audio book will be coming out uh, in in about four weeks from now, so the middle of February, is called The ABCs of Diversity, A Manager's Guide to Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion in the New Workplace. So this is truly a workbook um, that also offers personal anecdote stories of my experience in navigating the workforce and also being part of different marginalized communities, being black, being a woman, being undocumented, being an immigrant, being stateless. And so that is the framework that I use to provide tools that managers and human resources can apply in their workplace to one, make diversity, equity, and inclusion, also known as DEI, more accessible in the workplace. So more people are engaged. The second thing is being able to actually drive return on investment through diversity, equity, and inclusion. And then the third thing is to be able to gain the the knowledge and reduce time so that they can actually implement diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. So this is, you know, this is my 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 new book, and I and I think both of them are connected in a lot of ways. But ultimately, I'll just keep it short and simple because you asked me one question, and I'm giving you this whole <laughs> response, Raphael. Hey, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And congratulations on the launch of yeah. your uh, on the release of your second book, The ABCs of uh-huh. Diversity. Uh, both books sound like books that I should have in my uh, library. And I will, I will definitely I'll be looking forward to reading both. And um, quick question on Legal Amongst Us. Is, is there an audio version of that? There is not an audio version of this yet. Okay. However, I've gotten tremendous feedback by various people from the different communities that I am in. Some say, hey, we need an audio version. Some say we need a French version. And I've also heard we need a Spanish version. So um, this more to come on this. So I, awesome. my next my next project is to actually create the audio version of this, of The Legal Among Us. All righty. I, I know you will. I know you will. All righty. So congrats again on um, both yeah. books. And um, yes, I'm looking forward to more growth and yeah, you, you, you're doing great stuff with those books, and I highly recommend both of them. I know there's great things for myself to learn. I, I knew DE was something that I, I'd heard before, and it's 
But I didn't, it didn't occur to me that it was diversity, equity, and inclusion. You see, yes, simple. Yeah. Uh, DEI. I don't know why I said yes. DEI, but yeah, DEI. But you see, I'm letting and growing. So we're all learning and growing. <laughs> thank you. So now let's um, focus on you. Let's get your origin story. So um, your name, Martin Kalau. You know, the first time I saw your name, I think I was like, wait, is this. Polish? Well, Asian. is this someone from uh, where, where? Where is this name from? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it. Cause I, I, I tried. I, once upon a time, I used to be very good at just seeing names and then I, I, like, oh, I can guess where this name is from. And then yeah. when you, I saw your video where you mentioned where you were from, I was like, whoa, that's what? Well, that's not the names I associate with this part of the world. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely would have failed on that. So. Please tell us um, the meaning of your names and um, yeah, if, um, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny to hear that. Thank you, first of all, for pronouncing my name so beautifully because my my entire life, um, I just couldn't get people to say Kalau. Like, I don't know. It's very- oh, I, th I thought that was like one of the easiest to pronounce. Oh no, you'd be surprised. I've gotten everything but Kalau. But the origins of my name. So my last name is Congolese. I ah. am, my ethnicity is Congolese. For anyone who, you know, isn't clear, Democratic Republic of the Congo, formerly, formerly Zaire in, yep. um, on the continent of Africa. Um, but I, I'm also, I was, I was born in Zambia. So my nationality, part of my nationality is Zambian and my ethnicity is Congolese. Um, and perhaps I think we, we may have discussed this a little bit, but for the listeners, um, Kalau is not just a Congolese last name. You might hear it in the Philippines. Um, that's also common yeah. in common name in the Philippines. And through some, some research of my own, I was trying to figure out, well, what's the connection with the Philippines? How is my name connected? And I think it's, um, it's the, the, the Portuguese connection, right? And so what people don't know is Congo and Angola were all one at one point, uh, way back when, and um, we, when we were colonized, uh, our colonizers, Portuguese, started in Congo, Angola, and then somehow made their way, perhaps, to the Philippines. And so that's the connection, right, in terms of the last name. And my first name is, you know, it's, it's French. Uh, some people, um, are, it's also common in Haiti. So you hear a lot oh, yeah. of Haiti. <laughs> yeah. the name Martin. Oh, yeah. So there you go. So uh, do you know the exact uh, meanings? Well, it's interesting because I talked to uh, uh, some of my colleagues who are from the Philippines and they said Kalau is actually a bird. It's, um, oh. it's, a it's the name of a hornbill in, in the Philippines. In Congo, um, there isn't a necessarily a meaning. It's your last name is associated with, you know, what what tribe you originate from, right? What clan, what tribe you originate from. So that's, you know, that's the extent to my knowledge of what Kalau means. Um, Martin means warrior-like. And hey. for those who don't <laughs> generally know, I think if I, if I use my middle name more often, I think you would have, that would have been a dead giveaway that I'm 
I'm I'm African because it's it's Mwange. Mwange. So Mwange is a uh, Zambian Zambian oh. name. So my name is my full name is Martine Mwange Kalau. Mwange. Yes. Wow, that's beautiful. And, Thank you. and what what's Mwange mean? I don't know. I have to I have to ask my okay. I have to ask my father. <laughs> <laughs> where, where in Zambia um, is that from? Um, from Lusaka. Lusaka. Yes. All right. Lusaka, Zambia. And it's probably somehow connected to, because, you know, Zambia and, and DRC are right next to each other. And my, you know, biological mom and dad are, we're both and are, they're both from DRC. Um, even though they, you know, migrated to Zambia at some point. So I, I imagine that, even my middle name Wanj is somehow the origins are um, Kibemba or Kikongo, which yeah. are some of the languages spoken in Congo and um, DRC is quite a huge country because huge. it's until I talk to someone from one of the neighboring countries or someone who's lived in a neighboring country and that I realize like wow DRC shares a border with this country and I'm like wow five countries it's yeah. forget the it's it you know the the image of it on a map doesn't really do it justice the the vastness of drc True. Um, i mean we know that drc has been raped and pillaged for decades because it it provides so many so many natural resources and that's also because it's got so much land to provide yeah. these natural resources i think it's five or six times the size of texas Yes, so just, uh, it's, it's ridiculously right? huge. Yes. And there are places that haven't been officially discovered. Yeah. In there. So, well, yeah. I would, I, you know, okay, so I, I'm going <laughs> to say, I wouldn't say discovered, right? In yeah, my, well, yeah. Because I think the, the inhabitants have discovered it. That's exactly. Well, I agree. But other people haven't, don't have awareness of it yet, perhaps. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, other people don't have awareness. Yes. Uh, that, that, that's the first Congolese on this show. I don't want like, <laughs> my community saying, hey, like, you, you know, you got to represent. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. You're, you're right about that, though. You're right about that. Because I, right. I, that you just remind me of, um, there was, uh, when I was living in Texas, there was a day I was watching, I think, well, yeah, I was watching BBC Africa and, there was this guy who used to be on um, Lost. Yeah, he used to be on Lost. And he was on one of the late night shows. I think it was Graham Norton's show. And they were asking him, what, what, what are you going to do now? You know, you know, are you, do you have a, a show? You're gonna, are you going to be acting? Do you have something coming up? It's like, oh, I'm about going to Nigeria to go discover. Um, I, I want to be the first person to discover this giant spider that's in northern part of Nigeria. And the host was like, uh, you're going to be the first person to discover it? Right. Said, oh, yes, yes, I'll be the first because no one has ever seen this spider. So I'll, I'll be the first to get it on, on tape and show it to the world that this spider exists. And it's like, uh, but you know, people live there, right? So You're like, come on. The, the, you, you, you think so... the, the people who live there haven't seen the spider? Right. Or the, they exactly. have... He's like, oh, yeah, they, they might have. But I'll be the first person to have it on camera. So I'm discovering it. And oh it was God. like the host was still trying to help him out. It was like, oh, but you, you know, the people there have they, they, they have an idea what right. it is. And he's like, and he was actually talking about naming it. And I was like, oh man. And I was, I was watching this. And I was like, oh man, this must have been 
what it oh must have gosh. felt like to come name an, a river in Africa. Like, yeah, but I come discover this river and then name it after myself. And uh, right. like, yeah, um, okay. Yeah, so right. The mentality that some people have <laughs> because, you know, the privilege oh. that they walk with. And I mean, uh. it's <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, let's not spend time on that. But thank you for that correction, though, on awareness. That's right, one hundred percent. You're welcome. So, um, can you? Uh, intro you you were born in Lusaka, right? I was born in Lusaka, Zambia. L Lusaka, Zambia. So, uh, introduce us to your ch uh, what your childhood was like, and uh, yeah, just uh, give us an insight into your childhood. Yeah, I think that um, I would break it out into three phases. Right? All right. There is there was the happy times, right, and and where things were just, I was truly a child. And then I, I, I think the second phase, I would define it as when the first shoe dropped. Mm. And then the third is when the second shoe dropped, right? When your second shoe drops, you, 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 you're barefoot. You're kind of like trying to figure it out and it's all about survival. So in terms of my childhood, I came to the US when I was four. I came with my, with my mother and her family already, they, they immigrated to the U S her family being her brothers and sisters. Um, they were truly chasing the American dream. I mean, they came here, they went to school, got their education, you know, became professionals. And, um, my mom was the last of the, of the siblings to, to come. And she brought me along because I was her youngest child. I was the youngest of seven. So uh, I came to the US and at four years old, I didn't really look back, right? Uh, mm -hmm. There wasn't a whole lot of memories that I, I, I was uh, letting go. And when I came to the US, I came to more family. So life seemed wonderful. It was, I met my grandmother, my, my maternal grandmother, who was my absolute most amazing, the most amazing person in my world to this day. I mean, she passed away back in 1988, but I still remember her fondly. So that my, my childhood from that, around that time, having my grandmother, having my family, um, just being in this, this nucleus felt very warm. Um, you know, it wasn't perfect, but it felt, it felt warm. I felt safe. I, 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 I loved I love my life. You know, uh, I was also, I grew up in Maryland and I remember the schools that I went to, uh, or the, yeah, the two, two school, elementary schools that I went to were predominantly immigrant. They were in immigrant neighborhoods. So everyone, all of my friends were from, from different parts of the world. I had a friend from Cameroon, another friend from Argentina. I mean, so to me, and they, everyone spoke a different language. So to me, that's actually how I thought life was. I thought it's just, you grow up, you're around people, they look different, they speak different languages, and we're just kind of, we're all connected. And my mother also, she remarried, um, she remarried um, an American born um, man and he was my stepfather. He was my father. I mean, he was the best dad ever and everything was wonderful. I mean, we, we had a pretty normal uh, African and American family, you know, and uh, it was just a, 
you know, a beautiful effluvia of being both African and American and, you know, growing up in this environment where uh, my mother, you know, she, she had, she spoke broken English. My dad was, you know, American. So he spoke yeah. English. It was great. It was wonderful. Wow. And so that, you know, I'll fast forward and say that was the first part of my childhood, mm-hmm. lots of fun and happy memories. And then when the first shoe dropped, when things changed was, I remember it very, very vividly because it was my elementary school graduation. And I was so excited because, well, one, I was very studious. Two, school was this bond that my stepfather and I had. I mean, he always helped me with my homework. He would give me assignments on the weekend. If I misbehaved, his punishment was, you have to read this book, write a book report, and then present it to your mom and I. And I used to think he was so mean, right? But I cannot believe, like, like he set the foundation for my life and who I was going to be, become. So that day of my graduation, when I found out that my, my, my mom and my stepdad weren't going to be able to show it to my graduation because my stepdad was in the hospital. Like I felt as a, as a child, I mean, we, let's all think back to being kids and you know, when you feel something in the pit of your stomach, like, like something's, something's about to go bad. Like something is, is this is the beginning of something not so good. Mm. I knew that because I knew that for my stepfather to not be able to show up to my graduation, like my elementary school graduation, when he was the reason I excelled, Mm. must've been very serious. And then after that, things moved fairly quickly. Um, He got more sick uh, and he died when I was 13. And then moving on to the second shoe dropping. So that was when the first shoe dropped, he died and life just, you know, it changed, but I still had my mom. And for me, um, it was, it was about her, her and I, I mean, we were, we, we moved to Columbus, Ohio. So it was just her and I, we didn't have her, you know, her, her, her family around. So when she became ill you know, when I was 14, that's when I felt that, that not in my stomach again. Mm. Right. And, uh, by the time I was 15, the second she dropped, my mom died. And so I literally was like, that was the biggest fear that I had. I think that's one of the greatest fears of any child, even if they, they can't actually articulate that is to lose your mother. So I've lost my father and I lost my mother and it was, Okay, now what happens, right? So that's when the second shoe dropped. And, you know, I think that's, you know, to answer your question, that's the, that was the end of my childhood because I felt, I feel like I had to quickly grow up after that yeah. and really just become um, the person that I, I am today or start to, you know, uh, go on the journey to becoming the woman that I am today. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that the, losing one's parents at um, an early age like that, yeah, it's it's like you just become, it's like life forces you to, to adult immediately. Very and it, it, there's no, um, like most of us get that 
process that that period to adapt into adulting and and most of us still take like forever to be honest you know when some of us by 40 that's when we get into oh this is it this is what it's supposed to be and oh now we're figuring out and but i think when we don't have the shield of parents pretty early um i i never had a father throughout my life uh, by the time I even found out, uh, well, I knew who the person was, but we never met by the time he, he passed away before we could have uh, a reunion. So, but um, my, I still have my mom. So uh, on that side of things, I had a mom, she's still alive. But um, for a long time, I still didn't have a mom, mother in my life. So uh, I, I, I do relate to being forced to... Uh, take on responsibilities that one may not have been prepared to. But yeah. for someone like me, I still had, like, some, there were still some shields for me that forced me not to even see or uh, realize what was happening in my mm -hmm. case. So it, it would take a while for me to start saying, oh, wow, this is what I should have uh, been doing. Or it's like now that I'm, uh, I think it was even until I became a dad that I was like, oh yeah, you know what? Yeah, maybe I should. Okay, now it makes it makes sense why. Okay, yeah. all this stuff that I took for granted before makes sense now. But uh, before I move forward with uh, what um, you um, taking on life after losing your parents, uh, I still have to ask this question: What do you consider your favorite childhood memory? I think you've given an insight into this question already but i still want to hear the answer that you give me that's great uh my favorite child i mean i had so many like first you know growing you know when i first came to the u.s um and leading up to that first shoe dropping i would yeah. say my favorite childhood memory and i'm, I'm it's so apropos that you asked this question because i just i was looking back at like this old photo album for those for those of you who are you know, generation, what is it, Generation Z now? Like, you probably don't even know what a photo <laughs> album is, but go Google it, please. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, a photo album, and I found this photo, and it was, oh, my gosh. So this was, it reminded me of this is my favorite moment. When we were little, uh, when I was little, and I grew up with my cousins, like I said, so my aunts and uncles, they had their kids. So we all grew up, my cousins and I grew up like we were brothers and sisters. Like yeah. I, and they say that your relationship with your cousin is usually like your first introduction to having a best friend. So I had mm. like so many best friends. And we kind of grew up around each other and with each other. And so we used to, my aunts and uncles would have a Kalau family fashion, fashion show. Like wow. every, I don't know, like it was once, I don't know, once a month, whatever. And it was just for the kids. So we got to dress up in, you know, in big people clothes. So I get my aunt's <laughs> makeup and like her pearls and everything. My cousins, we would all dress up and we get, we would walk down this runway and all of our aunts and uncles and my mom, my grandma, everybody, they would just be right there, like clapping and rooting for us. And it just, that was such an amazing moment. Cause it was like, you can actually, I, I have a picture of it. It was so picturesque. You could wow. I had all of my family around me and we were celebrating and it was, we were also celebrating through an art form. It was yeah. just the best memory. That, that is beautiful. That is, yeah, that's, that's just amazing. I don't think 
anyone has shared something with an art that comes with an art perspective like that because um a lot of us including myself included came from conservative um religious families so it seemed like they, they were very keen to smash or crush any expression of you know when the creative expression started popping out if it wasn't like um singing in the choir i think that was like the one that was allowed uh it, it was quick to be shut down so wow. seeing a family celebrating you know just showing love and celebrating like that it, it's beautiful to hear that i, I love because i know not every family is the same not everybody like p- people did things differently and i love hearing that people existed like that and yeah that that's definitely beautiful so i gotta ask is it is there any cousin of yours that's that went into fashion <laughs> as a career <laughs> Actually, we, uh, I was in fashion at one point and I've always been a lover of fashion because of that. Um, I have family members that went into modeling. I have family members that, um, went into, um, they dabbled in fashion because of that. So I think fashion is like, uh, uh, has, has always had, um, like, played a, a role in, in the evolution of the Kalau family. But I will also say that people sometimes say, this is just a little joke, but that Congolese people are a little flashy. Oh, we may no, not no, have no. much, but you, we're flashy. So you, you for guys, some of us who you are hearing guys. this, they're probably like, oh yeah, that's typical Congolese. Like that's <laughs> uh, What's it called again? Oh, I, I, forgot it, I forgot what you guys call it. Les, oh. les Sapeurs. Yeah, les Sapeurs. Oh, yeah. well, the yes. first time I saw the photos, I was like, you know what? Yes. Nigerians yes. need to calm down. Nigerians yep. need to calm down. Yep. We, we we try to act like we, we no 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 we're not we're not there yet. We're not because Congolese, this woo. is what we do. It's in our blood. It's, I, was, I was like, wow, Congolese, they, you guys bring it. You guys bring it to the table. I was like, man, these yeah. people are in Congo. They, look at all the colors. Look at everything. I was like, whoa. Yes, and for yeah. those who don't know what that means, it's dandy. So there's yeah. there's an actually great documentary. It's on YouTube at this point. It's about the the Congolese dandy, and I think it's just it's check it out. It's a great juxtaposition of you know the the economic state that many of my my people, my Congolese people, suffer and are experiencing in the Congo within this backdrop of such richness. Right? I mean the land. The resources are rich. There, many many of them are struggling and are in poverty. Yet they cloak. They put this cloak of, you know, whatever it's fashion. They're mm-hmm. dandies to, right to feel to kind of uplift themselves. And I think that's always been part of the fabric of being a Congolese person. I think so. I think it definitely carried um, even from the Congo to the U.S. for my family. Oh, that it's it's beautiful. Every every time I see it, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I just, I just have to applaud. Like, yeah, this is this. Is, I I wish I had seen stuff like this as a kid. You know, I did. Yeah. I'm like, so, I did. You, you got you got to you got to live it. So it's different. I got to live it. Yeah. <laughs> ah, wow. So, uh, coming back to um, the second shoe dropping um yeah. yeah let's let's jump uh forward a little bit so you your mom moved from 
the area where she had family to Ohio, was there a particular reason for her making that move? Yeah. So my mom and stepdad, when my stepdad became very gravely ill, we decided to move to Columbus, Ohio to be closer to his family. Oh, okay. I, they knew. I didn't know at the time. I was yeah. a child. And I think, you know, they were trying to shield me that he was dying. Yeah. So he needed to be closer to his family. And so we uprooted ourselves and we moved there. Um, but I also think that like with lots of, with many families, there's, there are so many layers to being a family. There's a lot of drama. So mm -hmm. I think there were also, my mom probably also wanted to, to have um, some space between her and her siblings at some point, you know, right. So I think that also influenced the decision to move. Wow. Yeah. So well, how was that? Um, well, for, for you being that, you had settled in the DMV area. That was home for you. And then now you had to move to Ohio. Was your, should I call him stepdad or do you want me to call him dad? You, you can call him whatever you, you like. Um, I will. I think this is a good time because I, I don't want listeners to get a little, to get confused. Okay. This is all highlighted in the book. Right. But, you know, I mentioned that I was... An, an orphan when my, when my stepdad who was for all intents and purposes, my dad died and my mom died. Yeah. And then I think at the beginning of, you know, the interview, I mentioned my father is in the Congo. And so mm -hmm. some of you who are really perceptive are like, wait, this doesn't add up. Uh, long story short, uh, my biological father found me through LinkedIn. Oh, wow. in 2013. So he lives in, in Zambia. So to answer your question, Raphael, um, you're, it's fine if you call, refer to my, 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 my stepfather as my father. Right. And um, my biological father is my biological father. I, I relate to that because I'm, I'm in the same category of my biological father because he's just my biological father. That's all he is. So yeah. um, now you live uh, Maryland that you've grown up in. You know, it, you're secure there. It's your home. It's all you've known. And you come to Ohio. What was that like for you? Was, was it that, you know, coming having to kind of restart? Did it feel like you were restarting all over? Coming to, what, did it feel like brand new America to you? Because it's totally different for younger. Yeah. You know, you were younger then too. So, yeah, uh, I really teenage you then. that question because... No one's ever asked me that question. And I really appreciate it because when I grew up in Maryland, like I said, I went to school. My friends were all different races. They spoke different languages. And mm -hmm. that's what I thought was normal. And I moved to Columbus, Ohio. And the part of Columbus, Ohio that we lived in was, was you know, particularly, it was urban and it was predominantly Black, but more specifically African-American. And when I went to school, um, I was bullied. I didn't know that at the time we didn't have a term called bullying, mm -hmm. um, but I was bullied by people who I thought looked like me. They were black, just like me. But, um, you know, that shouldn't come as too much as a surprise because we hear, you know, you hear some, a lot of Africans talk about that. I was called an African booty scratcher. What they saw, the media represented of what Africa was, yeah. 
was what they did not want to be. And I was a reminder of how close they were to that, how close they were connected to that. And mm. so they did not like me. Um, and I don't blame them. I think I blame the media. I blame, you know, whoever was fostering and instilling these beliefs um, in them. Uh, but yes, I, I didn't know that that's what it was called at the time, but I was bullied. I mean, I was made fun of. I was, you know, um, my skin color and it didn't help that my mom would, oh my God, she would make, she was a seamstress. So she would make me these outfits, which now I wish I had, but <laughs> Congolese fabric and I would have to wear it. And she, it was just horrible. At one point she did get it. And I was like, no more, like only get me, please get me clothes from the Disney store. Please get me like, please. <laughs> and she did that, but still it didn't matter because to the other kids, I was different and yeah. I was not, you know, I was ugly. I was everything. They just didn't want to connect, associate themselves with me. And so it did feel like the rug was pulled from under me on so many levels. Cause mm. I was losing my stepfather Yep. and like education school, which was my, my thing, the thing that I could always immerse myself in and get lost in didn't even feel safe because in school, you know, I was ostracized for being something that I never thought was a bad thing, being African, being Congolese. And, you know, in the environment that I lived in, it wasn't even, there was nothing nobody cared if you were Congolese or just African African Being yeah. African was no good. Um, I am so happy to see that now that things have evolved significantly and kids and, you know, they have the school systems. Some are fostering more education um, around, you know, geography, foreign policy, things like that. Um, kids are more well-traveled these days, some, right? Um, and even if you're not, you have the internet and you can actually, and you're not, you don't have to re rely on just the media to tell the story of oh, yeah. different parts of the world. So I think, um, you know, the experience hopefully of, of people's experiences are a lot better than they were, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I, I... Um, you know, you, you hearing that experience, it's not it's not the first time I've heard of that experience coming from um African immigrants who schooled here and I see something I've I've been spending quite a lot of time on Clubhouse lately, and yes, this thing going on where it's like, you know, people always have rooms where it's like black Americans versus Africans, and I'm like, why why y'all keep that, yeah, it's so, so ridiculous. And I'm I, like, it don't, it don't make sense. And so one day I found a Nigerian immigrant room and I, there was, there, it was supposed to be intellectuals. And I was like, okay, let me come chill with you guys here. They seem to tick all the boxes that I normally like. And I sat down there. And the next thing, it's from nowhere. The conversation just switched to, you know, black an attack on black Americans. And I was like, um, I think that's what? so. What? Why am I here again? <laughs> and yeah. So, and, and you know, think that I, I think it's just like some of them may have had this experience or known someone who had an experience like this years ago and just latched onto that and said, this is how everybody is. Absolutely. And that's black just like, 
honestly, it's so ignorant. And I think that's why I do the work that I do with diversity, equity, inclusion, consulting and training, because I've been I've been exposed to so many different spaces and I've had to uh, wear different identifiers. And so I feel like, um, you know, I can help be the bridge. So I've always felt in my heart. That's why it was so hard for me, because my stepfather was African-American. So I was African-American. I I feel to this. I'm just as much African-American as I am. Yeah, we are. And at the end of the day, when with all with 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 profiling, the racial profiling that many black people experience, I don't nobody nobody goes, oh, no, you're not you're not you're African. Oh, you're African-American. So those distinctions aren't made when people are profiled. Right. So and lastly, I always like to kindly and respectfully remind my fellow Africans, because I have, I know people who say these things too, yes. is we are only here and we're only here surviving. We're only here being treated, you know, better than, you know, our ancestors because of the trial the tribulations on the backs of African-Americans. That's the only way and how we're here in America. So if we sit there and we, we talk about you know, we want to distinguish ourselves. I mean, that's just pure ignorance because we, we have the privilege of actually even being in America because of the history of slavery of African-Americans and everything they've had to go through. And so I just, I just have no room, no tolerance for, for that. And I think that's where I get to help to bridge the, to bridge the gap. Um, and so that's why I was saying I, I, I'm happy that we're in these conversations are starting to change. And and when in the spaces where they're not changing, um, I'm glad that there's some people that are more evolved like you or I who can say, wait a minute, guys. Oh, yeah. But like, that, I call it. That, that's why I say I'm about bringing down artificial walls, because that's yeah. what it is. There's so many Warrior. artificial walls yeah. and, you know. A couple of years back, I wasn't this person. Years, you know, maybe two decades ago, I wasn't this person. I was probably the person who'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm Nigerian, proud. I'm, you know, you all are beneath me. Black people are beneath me. You know, we're better. And, you know, luckily I met people who, you know, showed me the, the truth. Like, you know, we, we, all, we, all, we are the same. And, you know, when I looked at it and I'm like, wait, every black American who I know that has come to Nigeria um, while I was dead, Nobody said, oh, you, you, you black American. We don't No, They're like, oh, welcome home. <laughs> we received them. Right. Um, we, 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 now we have the AFCON, the African Nations Cup going on. And yes, I see the way we, we, we hug every, every African. You know, yes, we, 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 we fight each other while we're playing. But at the end of the match, we still hug each other. And I was like, wait, so why, why am I this Nigerian superior to everybody? But, you know, yeah. but I... I meet uh, even people from Egypt, people from Morocco. I meet them right. here. I meet you at your food truck. They're like, "You, my Nigerian brother, get extra food. Here you go. <laughs> they give yeah. me extra food. But so why am I the person who wants to lift his shoulders and say I'm superior to you? I'm not really yes. superior. I don't really know you. So if maybe I should take that moment to know you and know my black brethren, if I start knowing you, maybe I won't have these artificial walls separating myself right. from you. And that's why I try to tell people about other communities. And if they refuse to listen, then I remove myself from the room because there's no point. I don't have the the strength to do a shouting match anymore. I don't. Yeah. I think I'll spend my energy somewhere else. But uh, yeah, before I mean, we move forward, because um, I don't want to spend 
too much time on I that. Have, we have, so we have, you have, you have more off. gems. You have better gems to give us. We shall <laughs> okay. take a quick break, and okay. um, when we come back, we're gonna dive into what you do, how you started, um, what you do. But before we even get into that, we'll, we'll talk about your experience with ICE, um, the the whole journey into all that, and uh, yeah, we'll take a quick break and then jump into that. Hi everyone. We've made it two years and who would have thought so? So let's go for that and make it three, make it four, make it five, make it six. Who knows? 20. But we can't do this without your support. So join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash white label American P-O-D pod or linktree.com slash white label American. Go there and you will see our Patreon link and you can join us for as low as $3. We have bonus content, we have bonus materials. There's so much juice over there that we don't release to the public. And yeah, you can contribute in making this podcast better. You can send questions, you can send your ideas. And also there's a lot of new things that are coming. The announcements are made on Patreon first because we have to, you know, take care of people who help make this podcast possible so you can be the one to make this podcast what you want it to be come join us on patreon and make it what you like to see join us make it fantastic keep the five stars coming in keep the love coming in thank you for the privilege of your company all righty welcome back thank you for staying with us so you lose your parents you begin a journey that not many could take on without you know collapsing and nothing honestly that's i don't i don't fault people who collapse because it's, it's not an easy burden to take at that um at that age but you know you begin this journey um how how, how did your because you 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 were in a state that you know you had moved from maryland to ohio and you know i, I don't think if you know, th this question that they asked you at interviews, like f five years from now, where do you see yourself? If they had asked something like that to a teenager, which I don't think makes sense, nobody you, nobody would have said, in five years' time, you'll be without your parents, right? Yeah. So how did you begin to, you know, see, your, how did you begin to handle it from that, you know, when you lost your parents, how, how was it that you were able to you know, lift yourself or like, how, how did you begin to navigate that path? The moment everything happened, where, where uh, were you mentally uh, and, you know, with everything? Um, yeah. So I, I first just want to, you know, also acknowledge that collapsing um, in, in the wake of, you know, trials and tribulations, whether it be tied to immigration or not. I mean, there's, I, I, there's, there's nothing, um, wrong with that, you know, sure. uh, because even the strongest person can collapse. So I will, I would just, I want to put out there that I collapsed many times, right. Mm. Um, you know, speaking figuratively, um, and literally actually at times, but, um, it was the people around me that lifted me back up. That's why I am here and I am where I am today, the people and the, and my soul. Right. And, and, and I think, and this over this vision I had for myself of where I wanted to go and what I 
thought I really deep down deserved. So I just want to say that. And then secondly, um, you're asking really great questions, Raphael, about basically like, you know, um, practically, like the practical questions of how I navigated. And it's it's so convoluted, which is why I wrote, I wrote a book, because I could spend hours explaining that. And I'm going to yeah. spare every oh, don't, don't, don't give us all the tea. Don't, don't spill all the tea because people got to go buy that book. <laughs> the listeners. But um, ultimately, I, I, you know, I when my, my mom and stepfather passed away, became an orphan, um, I was passed from one family home to another. Um, and in some of my, in some of the homes that I was passed on to, meaning my mother's family, um, I experienced abuse or neglect. Um, and so those were not space, safe spaces for me to be in. Um, and through the kindness and grace, and I mean, I don't know, like foresight or insight or whatever of a stranger, um, I ended up in boarding school in Charlottesville, Virginia. So that's the long story short. And uh, from there, uh, I, again, was able to get a little bit of footing, right? Mm -hmm. All the footing, right? Both shoe dropped. And then I go to boarding school, I get my footing, and then got a full scholarship to go to um, college and in undergrad is when that shoe dropped again. I was placed into removal proceedings or deportation proceedings through the ignorance of both myself and college administrators. We were going to the Social Security Administration to adjust the status of my Social Security card because when I came to the U.S., I got a Social Security number Mm -hmm. and it said non-working and um so we went to adjust it so that i could work right and make some money and the minute i i went i was placed into removal proceedings and uh that was right before right before 9 11 and then after that things just spiraled downhill pretty quickly wow so you 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 got in trouble with the system for doing the right thing yeah, that's pretty much it. Oh. Yeah, I got in trouble with the system for doing the right thing. And um, there was, well, I, I, I'm i going to let you ask the question. And, and wow. you know, instead of just revealing too much. So now that um, I guess they flagged your social security, was that when you became a stateless person? Or was that, did that begin the process of you becoming a stateless person? Yeah, great question. So I learned that I was undocumented and stateless, like for a long time. I just didn't know it, right? The minute my mother passed away, my my stepfather was American. He was born in the U.S. My mom was a permanent resident. She had a green card. So I I like, I think those are important factors to to mention that before she died, she was a permanent resident applying for her U.S. citizenship because I used to help her study for her tests, right? So um, now the thing is that some are probably wondering why didn't my mom apply for my citizenship? Why didn't my stepdad, you know, uh, adopt me, whatever. The answer is, you know, and I think it's important to think about 
the emotions and the reality of many immigrants. My mom, in her own ignorance, thought my daughter is in the U.S. I have six other children in Congo who are suffering. Those are the, those are the ones I need to help and bring. So the, that was her next. That was her priority. Oh, and so, okay. yeah. she, by the time she died, you know, everything just sort of fell apart. And what I learned is that there was a small window when I was fifteen and orphaned. Where I, if I knew that I was undocumented and stateless, I could have reversed my situation because of, you know, I guess certain laws. Who would have known? I mean, yeah. there's no way when you're trying to survive as an orphan. So mm-hmm. anyway, to answer your question, I was stateless and undocumented from the time my mom passed away because I, you know, I had I overstayed my visa, my visitor's visa. And by the way, that's the number one, um, that's the number one category of undocumented people are those who overstay their visa, just so everyone is aware of that. It's not people crossing the border or any of that. It's actually people who come and overstay their visa. So, you know, that should help individuals understand that there are more countries than the ones that we see often represented and depicted. Oh, yeah. Probably, you know undocumented without status. So without further ado, I'll say that I became stateless and, and, um, uh, undocumented because, um, well, immediately I was undocumented and we needed to see the, the courts were insistent. The judge, the immigration judge was insistent on deporting me. And he had a really bad reputation in the Miami immigration court. And he was at, excused from the Miami court only to be moved to the Buffalo, New York court. So I was the lucky one, of course, I'm being facetious, of getting him as well as many others. So he was on this vendetta, this this crusade to make sure that I went back to where I came from, right? And I should just clarify that he had a reputation of of, um, of, of, of being biased towards Haitian immigrants in the Miami court. And he ended up in Buffalo. So anyway, um, so he was he was insistent like that I would go back to where I came from. And so when we explored, even though it would not be safe to even I wouldn't have wanted to go back to Congo. I mean, we think about the Congo has been in a 30 war, 30 year civil war. Yes. Um, I, I so we explored Congo. I would not have been allowed to go back to Congo as a, I wouldn't have been seen as a as as a citizen or a resident in Congo and embraced to come back. So Congo rejected me because a couple of things. I wasn't born in Congo. I was My about to bring that up. Mm-hmm. Two, um, yeah, when I left, my mother and father left Congo, it was actually Zaire. So the the country, the actual governance changed. So that was one reason. So then we explored Zambia, my birth country. Well, my birth country, according to its constitution, says, you know, by the time you're 18, you have to claim, you know, if you haven't lived in the country for X amount of years, Um, you have to claim citizenship to actually, you know, get the nationality. So I, I didn't know that. So I was also not a citizen of Zambia. Wow. I was virtually a citizen of no country. The U S didn't want me. 
Zambia didn't want me. Congo didn't want me. So I had nowhere to go. And there are over 12 million people in the world who are stateless. Every 10 minutes, a, a stateless child is born. And in the U.S., there are over 200 thousand plus stateless people. Many of the, the images that we saw a few months ago of Haitian immigrants um, being so brutally um, treated trying to cross the border, what people don't realize is many Haitian immigrants are stateless as well because they were yeah. born in Dominican Republic, but Dominican Republic changed, reversed certain laws in its constitution to yeah. keep- yeah. Yeah. Since black people from being citizens, I, said, I, Vox had something on that. Uh, there's a Vox, so, it's like an eight-minute yeah. video on YouTube. Uh, I recommend right. people check it out. On, Please um, watch that. Please watch um, that. So yeah, that is why yeah, it's I was important shocked when for, I said. Yeah, I highlight the stateless piece because um, this great organization that um, I am affiliated with. It's called um, United Stateless. Um, what they say the best you know, analogy of being stateless is if, if being undocumented is being in prison, being stateless is being in solitary confinement. There's no recourse. There's no legal recourse. There are no laws for stateless people. They are the most likely to be trafficked, human trafficked, because mm. there's no law in the world for stateless people. So, you know, so that's, that's why there's an emphasis on that. Um, because I think that, you know, there's, you know, things have to change. Yeah, they do. Um, I'm glad you gave a shout out to United Stateless. I, they, they were the first people to actually make me aware of um, stateless citizens, as I like to say. Um, they followed me on Instagram. They liked one of my posts one time and I was like, who are, who are these people? And I followed them and we've had interactions for almost from over a year now and um one or two of i've given them an open invite to come on the podcast and uh, we, we're still working on it so yeah i hope they'll listen to this episode and um yeah. your invite still is still there and anytime you guys want to come on let me know and you know the most uh, incredible yeah. and courageous and brave people are you know really um they're behind this organization so it would i, I think it would be amazing to have you know, a couple of them on. on oh yeah, oh yeah. I, 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 I was, you know, yeah. We don't realize the privilege that we have until we are exposed to the truth and get to see that. Wow, it's, you know, yeah. I'm not some millionaire. I'm not. Uh, I'm not wealthy, but yeah, I still have privilege. Because yeah. I came to this country, I had my green card at, at the airport. Literally had it at the airport, and uh, so I, I don't get. I didn't get to. I didn't understand certain things with immigration. I didn't understand the struggle. Yeah, I got rejected um, for my visa application four times back in Nigeria. I was mad about it, but I always knew I would get my visa. And yeah. when I got it, even though it took me about what almost. 10 years, but I got it and I, I had that arrogance that I was going to get it and I got it and then so I came and I was just like, oh, you can always get your visa the same way. Why do you have to go through the uh, the border? I always said that. That's how I used to talk at first until it started dawning on me, you know, and I loved also when you pointed out that 
um, a lot of the uh, vast majority of people who uh, come here and it's their their visa has expired. Then you know, I, I had an experience once that I was another truth that dawned on me. I was at a uh, I was at a pub um, in downtown uh, Manhattan and uh, the bartender he he was from Ireland. And you know, this is one of these things where that's why I'm doing this podcast. People just love telling me their stories. You know, I, it's not like I ask for it, but people just uh, love, you know. And we, just, we you know, I'm, I'm having a drink at this pub, and you know, just chatting with the bartender. And this guy just starts telling me his story, and literally told me that he, yeah, he, he had overstayed his visa, and he was working at the pub. And I was like, wait, how are you here at the, at the pub? I thought this, they arrest people for stuff like this because. This was, uh, yeah, Trump had just won the election and I, I was with someone who was really pissed off about it and I was like, wait, this is, I think that was another thing that, that was when it dawned on me that, you know, there are certain people who, you know, because he, he was, a, you know, for lack, he, he was white. So yes. you don't usually picture someone like that as someone who overstays his, you know, you're like, oh, illegal. When they say legal, all the black and brown people that we uh, yeah, showed yes. on the, on the, in, in the media, and when the Irish um, prime minister came over and struck a deal with Trump not to deport people from Ireland who yeah. overstayed their visas, that guy came to my mind, and I was like, wow, if I don't talk to somebody like that, I wouldn't have understood why that deal needed to be struck because there were people like that living here walking here who quote unquote are considered illegal by the books but they're not the faces that we see you know right. and if you have that group that means there are other groups but the focus is always on black and brown people because we are the That's ones right. who you know yes. we, we, we we i guess we we, are, we make the headlines well better for selling the news so uh th those are things that got me to always change yeah, right, well, and, yeah. I, and I also love, um, I just want to acknowledge, I, I think it's so profound what you said, which I, again, I always tie back to, you know, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. You talked about acknowledging and recognizing your, your own privilege. Um, there's so there's privilege in so many different spaces. Yes. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I love that even with among stateless people, um, in United Stateless, we can have, we've had conversations about that, about privilege based on, on ethnicity or race, um, yeah. you know, privilege, I, my, my argument and people don't like to hear it is as long as you are in the United States, as long as we're all in the United States, we all have at least one source of privilege. Mm. And I know some people do not like to hear that because you know, some of us carry this, you know, this downtrodden or woe is me, or, you know, you know, there's sometimes this, I don't know, it's like this, it feels like it's sometimes it's a competition, competition to talk it, about. It, it, yeah, there's this. Who, who's suffering the most? It's like, yeah, it's, it's like uh, oppression Olympics. Yeah. Yes. Something like that. And yeah. So, um, so I think that it is important and I love what you said to level set that look, you know, and it's hard to sit with that. I mean, I think there was, it was, it, I had to acknowledge and face that like Martine, you are incredibly privileged in so many ways. I talk about the privilege of, of language, you know, in my book, I talk about that one of the very first things that 
that um, the, the administrator, the social security administration said to me, right, once while she was putting me in removal proceedings was you don't sound like the rest of them. Yeah, uh, that, 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 that is, that is no surprise to me. Is mm-hmm. privilege as well. So yep. we have to also acknowledge that so we can do something and use that privilege to create a bridge for those who don't have. That's it. Mm. Thank you for that. Thank yeah. you. So uh, I could talk to you all day, but uh, yeah, I'll have to start, you know, I'll have to start bringing this yeah, to, I to the too end. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you're giving me a lot of great stuff here. But um, yeah, just as I start to aim towards the end, uh, but we're not, no, we're not really close to the end yet, but now I'm bringing to wrap it up slowly. But uh, just give me an uh, insight into how did you decide on, you know, how did you officially decide this was the part that you were going to go career-wise, like this was what you were going to do? Because uh, like you had, like you said, you know, you, you had some privilege, you, you, you know, you, 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 could, you could have gone into private sector and said, yeah, you know, I'm going to go, yeah, I'm just going to go work in a bank, I'm going to work in a financial institute or, you know, law firm or... You know, there are multiple routes that you could have gone easily, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's but, right. There's nothing wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, but you decided yeah. that you wanted to make sure you're a bridge and connect those who are in need. So yeah. how, how did you get to decide, and how did you get to choose to be on this path? Yeah, I and, and I, I appreciate you posing the question that way because... Yeah, I think that, um, you know, it's okay to desire to have security, financial security, and also want to save the world at the same time. And, um, and I think sometimes people make it seem like you have to choose one or the other. um, And you have to, you know, wear one cloak and you have to choose. Um, So for me, it is, you know, Martin Kalau Enterprises is for-profit, right? And so um, that is what I do around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, and I work with, you know, different organizations, corporate America, and um, to be that bridge, right? Yeah. Um, as far as giving them, offering them ways to enhance um, and support um, marginalized communities while also benefiting from that support, right? I think both can happen. So um, that is something that is important to me. So it's it's a way for me to profit, but it's also a way for me to contribute to the change that's happening. But then on the other side of it, there's the immigration work. That's that's non-for-profit, right? That's that's me not. I can't forget who I, who I am. Like, this is who, this is my identity. This is why all of the things that I experience in being stateless and experience in being an orphan and experience in being undocumented have made me who I am. They fostered the skills that I use for my work for Martin Kalau Enterprises and elsewhere. So I can't forget my communities. It's, 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 part of my mission to always be connected to my communities. So for me, how did I get into this work? I worked in corporate America for 13 years. 
And while, and in, in during that time, part of that time, you know, I was also navigating through, I was at that point, I, I already became permanent resident, but I was still waiting to become a U.S. citizen. And as a stateless person, there are a lot of loopholes you have to go through to become a U.S. citizen. It's not your standard, you apply and then you get a, you're likely to get approved. I mean, there's a huge question mark and it's all at the mercy of whoever reads your, your, your file. And if they're confused as to why you're stateless, you may not get approval to become a U.S. citizen. So anyhow, you know, having those experiences kept me humble and also made me think like, there's got to, I am the bridge. I'm physically the bridge. Here I am in corporate America. And here I, and before then, here I was in, you know, predominantly white prep school going through stuff, like going through these things. And sometimes, or most times, when I'm in that environment, no one knows that I'm part of another community. Mm-hmm. And so I have this really amazing opportunity to disarm people and help them sort of pivot their lens in a way that they may not have considered it. I can do it through my story, my stories, and it also helps because I'm disarming because they already think I'm part of their, they immediately think I'm part of their world for whatever reason. So they embrace me and then I can present so different perspectives. So that is the reason I got into this work because I knew that I could, I could physically be the bridge. I feel like that's part of the reason I went through all that I went through. It came out of it as a whole person or was able to erect myself as a whole person is because this is the work I'm supposed to do. So that's it. And, and, you know, and being able to knowing, I mean, the key word for me when I was stateless and undocumented was dignity. I didn't have, I lost my dignity. I mean, that is a key word. And I see it time and time and time again from anyone in this space, in the stateless space or undocumented space. It's so easy to lose your dignity. And so, and that breaks my heart literally because I felt that myself. And so I feel like I've got to do what I need to do. I've got to do whatever I can to help restore people's dignity and help others on the other side of it realize that they're not doing these people a favor. Mm -hmm. These people, they're going to bet this is, this is beneficial. It's mutually beneficial. It's not about help. It's not about charity. It's about mutual benefits right? Whether it's immigration, whether it's different other, other um, marginalized communities in the corporate space and corporate America and the workforce. I mean, it's all kind of the same concept. And so that's, that's why I, I do what I do and I, I am who I am. And I'm glad that we have you doing what you do because yes, we need, we need, we need you. We need you. And thank you. Thank you for thank doing you. that. So, um, we have to step away from what you do into <laughs> okay. some um, the, the the to the to the wrapping up section, and these are just the fun. You know, what you do is also is fun because <laughs> it, it, it you you provide benefits to societies, and yes, yeah, so, uh, you you show them that there's benefits for everybody. It's a win win. 
when they you know people um, connect on the bridge. So yes, that it, it can be fun. But um, with that being said, now we're going to the main fun part because this is you specifically about you. So yeah. um, you've been to a few places. You got the Congolese background. You got Zambian background. That's right. When it comes to food, where's your loyalty? Oh wow! I'm gonna just controversial. Throw a we, we need complete, we need we need controversy. Complete wrench in all this and say Peruvian. I what? love ceviche. I love ceviche. I uh -oh. literally can eat ceviche. For I think I think my phone is ringing. Congolese community. <laughs> come, my they're, life. They're calling. They're like, um, she's not one of us. Yeah, they're like, no, just, just revoke her, her Congolese uh, card right now. No, uh, but I, uh, I will that's, say that's a good that, choice. Um, but otherwise, outside of that, if we're going to talk about, um, you know, the continent, food from the continent, uh, I love I love Ethiopian food because Ooh, it's good. easier to access in, in where I live in, in D.C. Um, but, you know, and then I also love, I think there are a lot of similarities between you know congolese food ghanaian food nigerian food like mm -hmm. i love fufu i still have never tried pepper soup i i think we have an equivalent of that in, in yeah Congo, call it that, so. I, I, I think well if you if you're going to try pepper soup um I don't, yeah go go if you're not heavy on the spicy try cameroonian oh, if no, you're no, no, heavy you on the spicy you, you can try Nigerian, but you need to be really no, loyal no, to love... the spiciness before you try Ghanians. Because Ghanians, the way they throw the spiciness into the, the man, their pepper soup is like they are fighting with you. It's like they looked at you and said, I'm going to dump all the pepper into that. I love that. Oh, I love man, that. The hotter, yeah, the yeah. better. Like, I love habanero. I've been eating peppers uh, since yeah, I was It's different. Four. Trust me. It's different. Like... My, okay. You know, I have Ghanaian blood, and I had some uncles when uh, one of my late uncles, when he was eating Ghanaian per soup, that guy he'd be like sweating. I mean, why is it so hot? Why, why is it like this? Who, who is fighting with me in this house? And he's still, <laughs> he's still drinking it. Like, uncle, is, is it is it is it too hot? Like, should it? Should, they oh my god, this is it. making me hungry. <laughs> Exactly. I love spicy food. Yeah. I love it so, oh, and I'm like hot, not spicy, hot. Yeah, like, that's, it's soup that you need. That's it's, that's, that's how I grew soup is the hottest. Yeah, yeah. That, that, okay, that, cool. Yeah, good to know. Yeah, good there's, to know. There's, there's, if it's jollof, don't, don't get involved in the jollof wars. Don't don't get involved. Just be like me. I eat everybody's jollof. You know, I'm going to stay me, out of it. We it. have the Congolese <laughs> has a, a version. I, we again, we don't. I only know like what my mom used to cook. Yeah. It, we don't, I don't know what it's called, but it's like yellow rice and it's got shrimp in it and all this mm -hmm. stuff and it's super good. But I have yet to try jollof rice, but I, I, I want to. Oh, you should. Everybody yeah. got jollof rice. The, the, the originators are not even respected yes. anymore. It, it comes from Senegal. Those are, those are the people who originally oh. have it. Yeah, because it's from the Wolof people. Uh, Walof jollof, you know. Oh, I didn't see. I just <laughs> learned something else. Ni Nigerians wow, colonized it and claim it's Nigerian. I'm like, nah, it's not. No idea. <laughs> By the way, Senegalese food is it's hands down. It, really, yeah, it is. It is really good. It is yes. really good. I love it. I love their food. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I don't want people writing in and saying, "Hey, hey, hey." So I love everybody's food, you know. I love uh, everything. Uh, everything. I don't. I don't discriminate everything. when it comes to food, you know. Yes. Send, send the food in. Send. <laughs> yes. All right. So next question. 
every guest who has been on this podcast automatically, we know we has, we know you can dance. It's just a given. That means you can dance. So we need we need you to dance for at least an hour. We know you can dance more than an hour. So, but we're just gonna assume for this question, you have to dance for an hour. So we need you to give us three artists that will keep you dancing for an hour. At least an hour. Oh, but you can't give us the most popular artists like, you know, the Beyonce's, Rihanna. No, we're not doing that. You're going to give us either from Zambia, you're going to give us from Congo, you're going to give us from Ohio, but you're going to give us names that, you know, we might not really know, but you might give us, or we might know because now everybody listens to music from the continent. That's true, that's true. So, but give us, you know, the, the, the artists that will keep you dancing. At least three. You can give us four, but we'll take okay. three. Okay, Congolese. Fali Ipupa. Oi. Yeah. Or Jaju. Jaju is really good too. All right. Jaju is amazing. Um, you can listen to all their songs and it's just pretty good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Man, I'm so terrible with names. Me too. But um, I went to uh, South Africa and I actually have my phone. Can I cheat and look oh, really yeah. fast? Oh, yeah. we're, we're... Am I allowed to do that? Yeah. Because I actually have it in my playlist. All right. So, uh, his name is Melindo. 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 How you spell that? Melindo, the vocalist. M L I N D O. Oh my gosh, he! I was in Cape Town and I heard him on the like. I heard him in the store. I was like, Oh my gosh, who is that? Who is that? I need to know who this person is. Hmm. Uh, I love South African music. Is, is he um, a ma piano? Is he on a ma piano um, music or? I actually do not know. Uh, it's Zulu. He's Zulu. Oh, Zulu. Because my, my piano music is hot right now. And I, I that, that's... No, my, I know. I know because like, it's like you hear a lot of that. I, I love like, it. Yeah. And it comes from Durban, I think, right? It's the like Durban I, music. Because Durban that, music I, is I, like... Yeah. I think, yeah, a lot of it comes from Durban. That's true. Yeah. It's like, dude, like EDM. Mm -hmm. Like it gets mm -hmm. you, you know, yeah. like hype. Yeah. But um, if you have you bad knees, totally I, I don't recommend it. Melindo is totally different. Okay. Totally. We're talking like it's more like it's pop, but it's like it's Zulu. Like it's I mean, I oh. and I might be saying, you know, not using the right description, but um, I know he's he does speak in um, I think he's in the in the songs. He uses a lot of uh, Hosha in the in the, oh, in the okay. music. It's okay. so beautiful. It's so deep. So Melindo everything listen to everything he does he he sings and then um do i still i need to give you one more you can drop one more okay uh i'll drop one more let's see let's see let's see there's so much like uh, but i'm gonna change things out change, change things a bit no i'm not allowed to share any afro beats huh outside um, of no no, no. no. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, because I was gonna say I love, I do love Fireboy. I love that song, that Peru song. Okay, nobody has recommended Fireboy, but um, okay. okay. Well, I, I wanted a Zambian. I wanted to hear what the Zambian artist was because I don't. I've not. I don't I think have I have a find Zambian her artist. Name, All right, so, say, I think, send me her name when 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 you. Uh, I will. Yeah, I will. email me the artist because I don't she's think really, I have a, I have a Zambian artist on my playlist. I have. She's I have really, music really, from really everywhere. Good. So. Really good. All right. Yep. And I think she sings in Bemba or something. Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, yeah. thank you for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you sharing your, your yeah. journey and story with me. Um, final question. Okay. What would you like to leave the audience with? Okay. Could be a line from any of your books. Could be 
something that has inspired you. Could be just it's your freestyle moment. Just anything. Okay. Um, I actually have it right in front of me. I keep this. Um, you know, the audience may not be able, won't be able to see this, but I keep this inspiring quote next to me. I literally, this is like my my Bible. Um, it's a quote by Albert Einstein. All right. It reads. There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is. And you get to choose. Yep, that came from a genius. For real. Yep. Awesome. Now I'm going to drop the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Damn right, yeah. Well, you've been dropping a lot of gems, so it, it's only fair that you drop the mic. So please, uh, plug yourself. You know, how can people get your books? Where can people find you? Please. Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do is go to martinecalau.com and you will be redirected to my Stateless and Dreamers Foundation if you're curious to learn more about my, you know, my involvement and my work around immigrants, uh, undocumented immigrants and stateless people. Um, I will also put in a plug for United Stateless. Again, if you're curious or you are, you know, want to do any work or support stateless individuals, please go to unitedstateless.org. Um, and then, uh, yes, if you're interested in, you know, getting a copy of either book, again, if you go to my website, martinecalau.com, um, that's that's the place to start. Just start with martinecalau.com and you will be redirected to everything else, including my social media. All righty. And uh, don't forget, you'll find all this information in the show notes and go there, martinecalau.com and um, United Stateless. Also, I'll have everything in the show notes. All right. So thank you again in my language, Umbana. And um, one of my favorite languages now, Barang from Manjanku people in the Gambia. So, nice. yeah, I get, I'm, I try to get thank you from all the guests who come on. I will say in Swahili, which we also speak in Congo, some oh, of yeah. us, people don't realize, Asante Sana. Asante Sana, yes. That's another one that I know too. <laughs> so I really enjoyed this and I look forward to more interactions with you. I definitely have to bring you back again for, for thank more. Thank you. So, I would love to come back. Thank you right. very much. So, Everyone listening, um, don't forget, subscribe to whitelabelamerican.com. Give us five stars. You know, Go to our merch store. Keep the love coming in. And thank you for the privilege of your company. Thanks for listening to White Label American. If you enjoyed the show, we'll appreciate if you rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast from. If you have any questions, comments, or have someone who will be a good guest on the show, or you want to be on the show, send us a message at whitelabelamerican at gmail.com. And make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at White Label American. Thank you for your support.